The eleventh lesson of a series of lessons in Raja Yoga. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Arabella Grayson. A series of lessons in Raja Yoga by Yogi Ramasharaka. The eleventh lesson, part one. The eleventh lesson, subconscious character building. In our last lesson, the tenth lesson, we called your attention to the wonderful work of the subconscious regions of mentation in the direction of the performance of intellectual work. Great as are the possibilities of this field of mentation in the direction named, they are equaled by the possibility of building up character by similar methods. Everyone realizes that one may change his character by a strenuous course of repression and training and nearly all who read these lines have modified their characteristics somewhat by similar methods. But it is only of late years that the general public have become aware that character might be modified, changed, and sometimes completely altered by means of an intelligent use of the subconscious faculties of the mind. The word character is derived from ancient terms meaning to mark, to engrave, etc., and some authorities inform us that the term originally arose from the word used by the Babylonian brickmakers to designate the trademark impressed by them upon their bricks, each maker having his own mark. This is interesting in view of the recent theories regarding the cultivation of characteristics which may be found in the current Western works on psychology. But these theories are not new to the yogi teachers of the East, who have employed similar methods for centuries past in training their students and pupils. The yogis have long taught that a man's character was, practically, the crude character stuff possessed by him at his birth, modified and shaped by outside influences in the case of the ordinary man, and by deliberate self-training and shaping by the wise man. Their pupils are examined regarding their characteristics and then directed to repress the undesirable traits and to cultivate the desirable ones. The yogi practice of character building is based upon the knowledge of the wonderful powers of the subconscious planes of the mind. The pupil is not required to pursue strenuous methods of repression or cultivation, but on the contrary is taught that such methods are opposed to nature's plans and that the best way is to imitate nature and to gradually unfold the desired characteristics by means of focusing the will power and attention upon them. The weeding out of undesirable characteristics is accomplished by the pupil cultivating the characteristics directly opposed to the undesirable ones. For instance, if the pupil desires to overcome fear, he is not instructed to concentrate on fear with the idea of killing it out, but instead is taught to mentally deny that he has fear, and then to concentrate his attention upon the ideal of courage. When courage is developed, fear is found to have faded away. The positive always overpowers the negative. In the word ideal is found the secret of the yogi method of subconscious character building. The teachings are to the effect that ideals may be built up by the bestowal of attention upon them. The student is given the example of a rose bush. He is taught that the plant will grow and flourish in the measure that care and attention is bestowed upon it, and vice versa. He is taught that the ideal of some desired characteristic is a mental rose bush, and that by careful attention it will grow and put forth leaves and flowers. 
he is then given some minor mental trait to develop and is taught to dwell upon it in thought to exercise his imagination and to mentally see himself attaining the desired quality he is given mantrams or affirmation to repeat for the purpose of giving him a mental center around which to build an ideal there is a mighty power in words used in this way providing that the user always thinks of the meaning of the words and makes a mental picture of the quality expressed by them instead of merely repeating them parrot fashion the yogi student is trained gradually until he acquires the power of conscious direction of the subconscious mind in the building up process which power comes to anyone oriental or occidental who will take the trouble to practice in fact nearly everyone possesses and actively uses this power although he may not be aware of it one's character is largely the result of the quality of thoughts held in the mind and of the mental pictures or ideas entertained by the person the man who constantly sees and thinks of himself as unsuccessful and downtrodden is very apt to grow ideals of thought forms of these things until his whole nature is dominated by them and his every act works towards the objectification of the thoughts on the contrary the man who makes an ideal of success and accomplishments find that his whole mental nature seems to work toward that result the objectification of the ideal and so it is with every other ideal the person who builds up a mental ideal of jealousy will be very apt to objectify the same and to unconsciously create condition that will give his jealousy food upon which to feed but this particular phase of the subject properly belongs to our next lesson this eleventh lesson is designed to point out the way by which people may mold their characters in any way they desire supplanting undesirable characteristics by desirable ones and developing desirable ideals into active characteristics the mind is plastic to him who knows the secrets of its manipulation the average person recognizes his strong and weak points of character but is very apt to regard them as fixed and unalterable or practically so he thinks that he is just as the lord made him and that is the end of it he fails to recognize that his character is being unconsciously modified every day by association with others whose suggestions are being absorbed and acted upon and he fails to see that he is molding his own character by taking interest in certain things and allowing his mind to dwell upon them he does not realize that he himself is really the maker of himself from the raw and crude material given him at his birth he makes himself negatively or positively negatively if he allows himself to be molded by the thoughts and ideals of others and positively if he molds himself everyone is doing one or the other perhaps both the weak man is the one who allows himself to be made by others and the strong man is the one who takes the building process in his own hands the process of character building is so delightfully simple that its importance is apt to be overlooked by the majority of persons who are made acquainted with it it is only by actual practice and the experiencing of results that its wonderful possibilities are borne home to one the yogi student is early taught the lesson of the power and importance of character building by some strong practical example 
For instance, the student is found to have certain tastes of appetite, such as a like for certain things, and a corresponding dislike for others. The yogi teacher instructs the student in the direction of cultivating a desire and taste for the disliked thing, and a dislike for the like thing. He teaches the student to fix his mind on the two things, but in the direction of imagining that he likes the one thing and dislikes the other. The student is taught to make a mental picture of the desired conditions and to say, for instance, I loathe candy, I dislike even the sight of it. And on the other hand, I crave tart things, I revel in the taste of them, etc., etc., at the same time trying to reproduce the taste of sweet things accompanied with a loathing, and a taste of tart things accompanied with a feeling of delight. After a bit, the student finds that his tastes are actually changing in accordance with his thoughts, and in the end they have completely changed places. The truth of the theory is then borne home to the student, and he never forgets the lesson. In order to reassure readers who might object to having the student left in this condition of reverse taste, we may add that the yogi teachers then teach him to get rid of the idea of the dislike thing and teach him to cultivate a liking for all wholesome things, their theory being that the dislike of certain wholesome eatables has been caused by some suggestion in childhood or by some prenatal impression, as wholesome eatables are made attractive to the taste by nature. The idea of all this training, however, is not the cultivation of taste, but practice in mental training and the bringing home of the student the truth of the fact that his nature is plastic to his ego and that it may be molded at will by concentration and intelligent practice. The reader of this lesson may experiment upon himself along the lines of the elementary yogi practice as above mentioned if he so desires. He will find it possible to entirely change his dislike for certain food, etc., by the methods mentioned above. He may likewise acquire a liking for heretofore distasteful tasks and duties, which he finds it necessary to perform. The principle underlying the whole yogi theory of character building by the subconscious intellect is that the ego is master of the mind, and that the mind is plastic to the commands of the ego. The ego or I of the individual is the one real permanent changeless principle of the individual. And the mind, like the body, is constantly changing, moving, growing, and dying. Just as the body may be developed and molded by intelligent exercises, so may the mind be developed and shaped by the ego if intelligent methods are followed. The majority of people consider that character is a fixed something, belonging to a man that cannot be altered or changed and yet they show by their everyday actions that at heart they do not believe this to be a fact, for they endeavor to change and mold the characters of those around them by word of advice, counsel, praising or condemnation, etc. It is not necessary to go into the matter of the consideration of the causes of character in this lesson. We will content ourselves by saying that these causes may be summed up roughly as follows. 1. Result of experiences in past lives. 2. Heredity. 3. Environment. 4. Suggestions from others. and 5. Autosuggestion. But no matter how one's character has been formed, it may be modified, molded, 
changed and improved by the methods set forth in this lesson, which methods are similar to what is called by Western writers autosuggestion. The underlying idea of autosuggestion is the willing of the individual that changes take place in his mind, the willing being aided by intelligent and tried methods of creating the new ideal or thought form. The first requisite for the change condition must be desire for the change. Unless one really desires that the change take place, he is unable to bring his will to bear on the task. There is a very close connection between desire and will. Will is not usually brought to bear upon anything unless it is inspired by desire. Some people connect the word desire with the lower inclinations, but it is equally applicable to the higher. If one fights off a low inclination or desire, it is because he is possessed of a higher inclination or desire. Many desires are really compromises between two or more conflicting desires, a sort of average desire, as it were. Unless one desires to change his character, he will not make any move toward it and in proportion to the strength of the desire, so will be the amount of willpower that is put in the task. The first thing for one to do in character building is to want to do it, and if he finds that the want is not sufficiently strong to enable him to manifest the perseverance and effort necessary to bring it to a successful conclusion, then he should deliberately proceed to build up the desire. Desire may be built up by allowing the mind to dwell upon the subject until a desire is created. This rule works both ways, as many people have found out to their sorrow and misery. Not only may one build up a commendable desire in this way, but he may also build up a reprehensible one. A little thought will show you the truth of this statement. A young man has no desire to indulge in the excesses of a fast life. But after a while he hears or reads something about others leading that sort of life, and he begins to allow his mind to dwell upon the subject, turning it around and examining it mentally and going over it in his imagination. After a time he begins to find a desire gradually sending forth roots and branches, and if he continues to water the thing in his imagination, before long he will find within himself a blossoming inclination which will try to insist upon expression in action. There is a great truth behind the words of the poet. Vice is a monster of so frightful mien that to be hated needs but to be seen. Yet seen too oft familiar with her face, we first endure, then pity, and then embrace. And the follies and crimes of many a man have been due to the growing of desire within his mind, through this plan of planting the seed and then carefully watering and tending to it, this cultivation of the growing desire. We have thought it well to give this word of warning because it will throw light upon many things that may have perplexed you and because it may serve to call your attention to certain growing weeds of the mind that you have been nourishing. But remember always that the force that leads downward may be transmuted and made to lead upward, it is just as easy to plant and grow wholesome desires as the other kind. If you are conscious of certain defects and deficiencies in your character, and who is not, and yet find yourself not possessed of a strong enough desire to make the changes necessary, 
then you should commence by planting the desire seed and allowing it to grow by giving it constant care and attention. You should picture to yourself the advantages of acquiring the desirable traits of character of which you have thought. You should frequently go over and over them in your mind, imaging yourself in imagination as possessing them. You will then find that the growing desire will make headway and that you will gradually begin to want to possess that trait of character more and more. And when you begin to want to hard enough, you will find arising in your consciousness a feeling of the possession of sufficient willpower to carry it through. Will follows the desire. Cultivate a desire and you will find back of it the will to carry it through. Under the pressure of a very strong desire, men have accomplished feats akin to miracles. If you find yourself in possession of desires that you feel are hurtful to you, you may rid yourself of them by deliberately starving them to death, and at the same time growing opposite desires. By refusing to think of the objectionable desires, you refuse them the mental food upon which alone they can thrive. Just as you starve a plant by refusing it nourishing soil and water, so may you starve out an objectionable desire by refusing to give it mental food. Remember this, for it is most important. Refuse to allow the mind to dwell upon such desires and resolutely turn aside the attention and particularly the imagination from the subject. This may call for the manifestation of a little willpower in the beginning, but it will become easier as you progress, and each victory will give you renewed strength for the next fight. But do not temporize with the desire. Do not compromise with it. Refuse to entertain the idea. In a fight of this kind, each victory gives one added strength, and each defeat weakens one. And while you are refusing to entertain the objectionable guest, you must be sure to grow a desire of an entirely opposite nature, a desire directly opposed to the one you are starving to death. Picture the opposite desire and think of it often. Let your mind dwell upon it lovingly and let the imagination help to build it up into form. Think of the advantages that will arise to you when you fully possess it and let the imagination picture you as in full possession of it and acting out your new part in life strong and vigorous in your new found power. All this will gradually lead you to the point where you will want to possess this power. Then you must be ready for the next step, which is faith or confident expectation. Now faith or confident expectation is not made to order in most persons, and in such cases one must acquire it gradually. Many of you who read these lines will have an understanding of the subject that will give you this faith, but to those who lack it, we suggest that they practice on some trivial phases of the mental makeup, some petty trait of character, in which the victory will be easy and simple. From this stage, they should work up to more difficult tasks until at last they gain that faith or confident expectation that comes from persevering practice. End of the 11th lesson, part 1. Recording by Arabella Grayson.